Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 143, where in a moment, our topic is women in financial services. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows, because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff. Mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time we tackled life insurance, which is often referred to as the cornerstone of financial planning. Well done if you got that right. You're paying attention. Uh, Next week, you could be co-hosting the show instead of me. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis and joining me as always, the star of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. So today we're discussing women in financial services with a special guest from your own company. But before we meet Laura properly, maybe you could tell me why you want to bring this topic onto the show today. Yeah, I thought it would be a, a good one to do today. I was having a look at some statistics just recently. And according to data from the, the FCA, they're the, the financial regulator. Data from them shows that just 16% of regulated financial advisors in the UK are women, which I think is just a quite a staggering statistic, really. So I just thought it'd be good to do a show today, just really to promote women in, in financial services and also to show that there is plenty of opportunities out there. Another statistic that I was looking at as well, a third of financial advisors are aged 50 to 59 and 17% are age 60 and over. So that means that half of the profession are actually aged 50 and over. So I I think for anybody entering financial services, whether they're male or female, there's great opportunities at the moment. Absolutely. Laura, Stephen works with Phil, as I mentioned there. Maybe you could fill us in on the backstory, Laura. I mean, clearly Phil already knows, but I don't. And neither does our audience. So maybe tell us a little bit about what you do in your role for Phil Anderson Financial Services and also your working life beforehand. I mean, have you always been in finance? So I do a split role at the moment. Um, I qualified as a mortgage advisor two years ago, just coming out of COVID, I think it was. I did my exams and... Before that, I started working for Phil doing admin, did a few exams to do my para planning, helped the advisors and decided that I wanted to do advising. So Phil was kind enough to pay for my exams and help me, basically mentor me to become a mortgage advisor. So at the moment, I advise for mortgages protection, but I still help out with the admin side of things. There's Laura who took over my role Last year, I still kind of helped train her and I help out with general admin as well when people are off. So Okay. So we, we only employ Laura's for for, uh, for admin roles. Now, to me, para planning sounds like the job of someone who coordinates parachute jumps. So you don't have folk piling out the plane at the same time and getting caught up in each other's chute. I'd be hugely surprised if it was that. When you're based at a financial advice firm, what exactly is the role of a para planner? What does that mean? Because I, I hear it come up, but I don't know what it means. Basically, it's all singing, dancing, support for the advisors, apart okay. from you don't client face. Um, you do reports, um, you chase providers, you do all the admin side of it, quotes, applications and things, support the advisors as best 
that you can, but you just don't deal with the clients directly. I, I've known Laura now for, I was thinking about earlier, it's almost 20 years. It's nuts. It's just, time's just flown past. We, we worked together at a, a large solicitor's firm previously, and then our paths have always been quite closely aligned over the years. But over the last few while, Laura's done amazing. She's done, like says, the, the exams for the mortgages. She's also done was it one of the admin exams as well yeah. through the, the Chartered Insurance Institute. So it's been great watching Laura evolve and grow over the, the years as well. And, and Laura, as I mentioned, now does mortgage advice as well. So I was just wondering, can you tell us a wee bit more about the role that you're doing there, Laura, and just exactly what that entails? Yeah, so mortgages are not one size fits all. I've learned that the hard way over the last few years. Hmm. Um, I originally thought, yeah, you just go get a mortgage. It's really quite simple. But it's really not. You've got different types of employers, uh, well, employed people, self-employed. You've got people that um, are on benefits. You've got people that don't have deposits. There's, You've got self-build mortgages. You've got active release mortgages. There's never one mortgage that is right for everybody, basically. So as a mortgage advisor, you have to go and do the research. You have to look at different providers. You look at what basically caters to that specific client so it is a lot of work sometimes it can be a really simple case and it goes through really quickly then there's other ones that drag on you take a lot of time but it's worth it in the end because when you help someone get that dream house that they want it's such an amazing feeling so yeah it's it's a lot of work a lot of research a lot of paperwork a lot of compliance but yeah when you see you know the smile on your client's face when you've got that offering in your hands, it's all worth it. It sounds like you love it. We've spoken to women from the world of finance before in the show, not too many, but some. I didn't know how heavily skewed the industry was in favour of men. <laughs> I would have guessed fairly heavily. I wouldn't have thought it would have been as as bad as it is, as Phil mentioned at the beginning of the show there. Does it make it more difficult, Laura, do you think, when, when there are so many men in the industry and hardly any women? What sort of challenges have you had to come to terms with as you've sort of carved out a career within the industry? I wouldn't say I've had any challenges as such. You know, most clients stereotypically expect a man to turn up if you're going for a home visit. I think they can be quite surprised when a woman phones them and sets up an appointment as opposed to a man. I've had a few comments from clients saying, you know, you know, I'm a mother, so I've had a lot of single parents that I've dealt with. A lot of first-time buyers that are young females that feel more comfortable speaking to a female advisor. So yeah, I haven't had any challenges as such. More compliments with regards to having a woman for them to deal with. One thing that kind of did make me want to do my exams and, and change what I was doing at the time, which was an admin role, was I was at a, a dinner event about five five years ago. Turned up and there were some speakers there, and one of them which was a woman. But all the attendees, 15 of us, I was the only woman. And I felt extremely uncomfortable because all these men, as Phil was saying, were in their 40s, 50s. At the time, I think I was in my mid-early 30s. And so I just felt I had nothing to put to the conversation. These were all advisors, people that had been in the industry for years. I was just a paraplan and support staff that was there because I dealt with that provider quite a lot. So it was good for me to kind of get to know a bit more about what they were doing. And the speaker there, the female speaker, actually said to me, it's a breath of fresh air to see a female here. She says, I've had to fight 
to be in the position I'm in. Um, and I never, ever see young women in this industry, coming into this industry, in these dinners and, and such. So she said to me, stick at it. She says, do your exams, get somewhere, because in the future, we need more women. We need more young women in, in the industry. So stick at it, do your exams and, and get where you need to be. And I took that advice. That's a great story. Uh, Phil, let me just uh, go off <laughs> kilter slightly here. Why is the industry, do you think, so heavily skewed in favour of men? Is it because it's one of these industries that's been around for such a long time? I think so. I, I think if, if you go back years and years ago, you used to have like the man from the Prue, was it? That was their actual mm. saying. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't know. I, I guess like when, when I think back to the, the advisors that I worked with years ago, the bulk of them were men. It is changing. I mean, in, in here, we, we've got 10 advisors and four of them are, are women. And out of the 14 staff in the office here, I think seven are, are women, Laura was telling me earlier, which I, I, I never even think about it. But it's good that people have got that option for seeing either a male or female advisor, if that's what they prefer. It's like going back to some of the challenges. I, I was going to ask Laura, it must be when you have kids, that would be a bit of a challenge at that point, would it? And also having young children when you're trying to study would also be another kind of challenge for you as well, would it? Yeah, so I think in total I've done five or six exams over the past four or five years. I always do it in my own time. There, there is occasions that were quiet work that I sometimes pick up my textbook and have a really just depends how busy we were at the time. But um Generally, I do it in my own time. I have two kids. I have a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old. So when I first started studying, they were four and nine, I think. So difficult age. But when I put them to bed, I would read. When I was making dinner, I would sit with my study book, read. If they were at gymnastics, swimming lessons, pull out my study book. Basically, yeah, it, it is hard going, but it's achievable. I was also a single parent for for four years as well. So I was the primary caregiver for the girls. So I found that difficult as well, having to put them to bed every night, bath them every night, you know, feed them every night. They were constantly, mom, 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 I need your attention. But yeah, sometimes you you do just need to stick them in front of the TV for half an hour, read your study book. Um, but it is achievable. Have kids, have work life balance. It's uh, I've managed so far. So that fem- that yeah perseverance that female speaker was right you know and um, I-, I always think if someone's going to succeed in it in their chosen field it doesn't really matter what that field is it's massive to know that it's achievable that you can climb that mountain i'll give you an example everyone can relate to tina turner died recently and she simultaneously became the first woman and the first person of color to grace the front cover of rolling stone magazine and she did it in their second issue in November 1967, when blacks could press their noses against the glass in the window of the store, but they weren't allowed in it to buy anything. They could see a black woman had made it onto the cover of a magazine and was bucking the system. She's the reason Beyonce and Rihanna and Lizzo and all of them are there today because they could see it being done. Who are the the rock star women in finance, Phil? Yeah, there's quite a lot of women doing well in, in financial services. I mean, we had on, on one previous podcast, we had Charlotte Ransom, Came on, she was the CEO of a company called Net Wealth. They're quite a big financial planning firm. Can't remember what episode that was. It was early 
100s, I think, that, that Charlotte came on the, the podcast. It was really good hearing her story, uh, uh, how she's done over the years. Uh, a website that I sometimes go on is one called Money Magpie, and that was started off by a, a lady called Jasmine Bertels. So th- there are plenty of women in financial services, and a lot of them doing very well. But one of the ones that's, that's quite well known is um, there's a pension expert called Rose Altman, or she's now called Baroness Altman. She's very influential when it comes to pensions. She was a pensions minister in David Cameron's government previously, but she, she's a really influential person when it comes to the world of pensions. But also she, she's always championing women's pension rights as well, which is a, a good thing as well. So certainly plenty of women in, in financial services that are starting to become more and more, which is a, a good thing. It's good to see people doing well as as well there. And I, I was going to say, Laura, for, for yourself, what, what's your sort of plans for the, the future? And I was also going to just say, like, where, where do you want to go in the industry and what are you looking to achieve? Well, I'm halfway through my diploma to become a full independent financial advisor. Kind of took a sidestep doing the mortgages. I've got an equity release exam that I've got coming up in the next few months, which kind of just is an extension to the mortgages as such. Just means I can help a different type of, of client for mortgages. So once that's done, possibly end of summer, I'll get back to my diploma. So I've got three more exams to do to become a full independent financial advisor. My plan was to do it before my 40th birthday, which is in October, but that's just not going to happen now. (laughs) Mainly due to COVID. I kind of had to stop during COVID. We couldn't do exams kind of for two years, nothing happened. So kind of set me back, but I'll get back on it. And hopefully in the next two years, I'll be fully qualified. How does all this break down in terms of cost, Phil? And Laura, I mean, Phil, you first maybe. I read something last week that fewer people are studying to become specialist doctors because they have to take out so much in loans for the length of time that they have to study. And even then, because there are cutbacks all the time in the NHS, they can end up being qualified but then have no job to go into. So if you're studying to become a financial advisor, I think Laura mentioned that that you helped her through it, but is the outlay, can it be your own to pay as a student? Yeah, I know. I mean, like Kevin in our office, he he went and paid for these exams off his own back before he started with us. And I know a few people that have, have done that. A lot of firms will pay to put their employees through the, the exams, but it's kind of, it's trying to get your foot in the door. It's often the, the most difficult thing to try to just get into financial services is, is quite often the hardest part. But if you did do it off your own back, to do the, the mortgage advisor exams, you're probably looking at about £600 to, to do that. Um, that's through the London Institute of Banking and Finance. You've also got the, the Chartered Insurance Institute that, that do exams. I think that's who Laura did hers through. And that, that's who I did my exams through many years ago as well. If you're looking to become a financial advisor, probably looking at somewhere in the region of about £1,000 to do the exams for, for that one. So there is a bit of an outlay. I'd probably say the biggest outlay is your time because um, you've got to spend the, the time doing it. I must admit, when, when people come to me looking for jobs, if if they've done some of the things off their own back, I'll often say to people, it's like, look, go and do the first exam and then come back to me when you've done it. And the, there was a lassie that had been at me for a job for years and I kept saying to her, look, do the, the first exam, the Chartered, Insta- Chartered Insurance Institute, it's called RO1, which is all about financial services, like ethics and regulations. And she'd just never done it. And there was another chap as well. I would have been in a position to offer him a job not long ago, 
And he was the same. I, I contacted him. I was like, look, you ever done the, the first exam? No, they're too busy. I've had other things to, to do. So I don't know if somebody shows the commitment. I know for myself personally, I like that. If, if folk are willing to, to do a bit off their own backs, that, that's always a good start, in my opinion, as well. Obviously, you think this is the industry for you, Laura. What sort of exams and investment of your time does it entail? I mean, you painted a not a bleak picture, but one of immense interest where, you know, you're, you're making your evening meal and you're reading the book on the side or you put the kids to bed and then you're reading the books. I mean, does it literally not suffocate you, but but really take over your, your life externally? It, it consumes you for a few months until you've passed that exam. I get the audiobooks so when I'm on out for a run on the treadmill if I'm out for a walk I can stick the, the pods in and I can listen to the study text on audio so that helps yeah just my my tip would be to don't study for longer than than 20 to 30 minutes at a time because then it stops going in and you're just reading letters words they're not actually doing anything so if you are going to do it do it in small snippets at a time so as I say if you're making tea 20 minutes read it while you're making tea put the kids to bed gymnastics that kind of thing try and fit it into your everyday life and the smaller snippets you can do throughout the day it does go in definitely and the audiobooks do help as well I, I don't want to get fixated by cost but you, you spoke about 600 pounds Phil and then you spoke about a thousand pounds does that include materials that you need to study yeah, there's, there's different packages that you can take out. So, like, when we're ordering stuff for the, the, the folk in the office here, we tend to get it so that they've got, like, study cards, the, the text, they can access it online. We tend to do where they've got tutor support, so that, that might cost an extra couple of hundred pounds as well. So I, I guess you can spend more on it. I mean, I, I used to, like Laura was saying about audio stuff, I, I used to use a company called Patterson Audio. They've got, like... CDs, but now you can get like downloads for your MP3 player or downloads on your your iPhone and stuff like that. And I, I used to find them really helpful. I would say again, I'd be in, on a car journey. I'd listen to them in the car, same way as I listen to podcasts a lot in the the car. So I, I would use my time like that. So again, you can pay extra for for those sort of things as well if if it helps you. But you you can get through the exams at that sort of think amounts that I'd mentioned earlier. But you can spend more if you want. I always found the past papers to be really good. They might cost about 15, 20 pounds for the, the past papers. And you can often find there's some websites online that will give you some questions for nothing. And I, I always found the past papers a, a huge help when I was doing my exams. <laughs> I wish you'd stop saying past papers. I'm having flashbacks to when I was in school and I'm actually sitting here chuddering. I mentioned earlier, Phil, there's a predominantly male workforce in the financial sector. You, you spoke about actual statistics. You know, the, the, the one thing that surprised me when you were doing that was you said that it was something like 16% were, were female within the industry and within the men that make up in the industry, they're older. They're, they're nearly half of them, I think it was, were, were over 50. The only thing that surprised me about that was that they hadn't retired. But maybe we can come back to that. I know in recent years, it has improved slightly in terms of gender balance. There's still obviously a long way to go. Presumably, there's a big gender pay gap in salaries as well, is there? There is still a gender pay gap. I mean, I, I was having a look at statistics the other day, reading an article, and it was saying that the, the average earnings for a financial advisor in the last year has actually gone up by about 15%, it was saying. So according to that, 
details that I was reading, it says that the, the average earnings for a financial advisor now is almost £96,000 a year is the, the average that financial advisors are making. Now, the average male financial advisor is currently earning just over 100000 but for women it's 78279 So you've got about £22,000 difference there. So there, there no is reason. Quite, I, I know, I, I think... It, it, there's pro. I mean, there, there is probably reasons why that is, but it, it should be a lot more on a par, in my opinion. Certainly, yeah. I know. Like in in here, I mean, we we've one female advisor that earns a bit less, but the main reason for that is that she doesn't want to work as hard as some of the other guys. So that's that's one reason why hers is is a bit less. But there, there's no reason why if if a, a male or female advisor is working the same. They should be earning the, the same. There's no yeah. questions about that. I, I had a look as well for for para planners. The, the average the, there's less of a difference there. So the average para planner for for women is making just under forty six thousand, and for men it's just over forty eight thousand. So there's not so much of a difference there, but there is a, still a slight difference in in that kind of pay scale as well. So hopefully we'll we'll see that start to kind of. Let, like I say, you, you hope that that gap will, will narrow, certainly in the, the coming sort of years, I, I would be hoping. But they, there is definitely a, a gender pay gap as well. I'm going to guess, and this one I don't know if you have statistics on or if it's anecdotal, I would imagine, and this is just a hunch, that there are probably, there's probably a better ratio of women to men, or in fact, maybe a greater number of women to men when it comes to para planning. Would that sound accurate or not? Yeah, I mean... It's very mixed. Um, there's, I mean, I know in, in here we've got Laura. I mean, most of our admin team tends to be more females, but there, there isn't any reason why men couldn't do that as well. So it is, it's with actual para planners, it's quite well mixed. I know quite a few guys that, mm. that do para planning as well. You, you get some people, I mean, not everybody wants to be an advisor. So you've got some folk that are happy saying, look, I'd rather, I, I know a chap, his technical knowledge is excellent. He works for a big firm in Aberdeen. Technical knowledge is, is brilliant, as good as any financial advisor I know, but he doesn't want to actually sit down with clients. So he's got more of a back office type role. So it, it's really quite quite well mixed, I would say. <laughs> what influences or, or, or effects Advisor earnings then, Phil? Different things. I mean, one is, is qualifications. So certainly the, the more qualified somebody is, the more they're they're likely to, to earn. I've kind of I would say age, but when, when I say age, I mean that isn't really a barrier, but you tend to find I mean, like we, we have a couple of guys here that have done this for, for years. So they've got a lot of clients paying ongoing fees for, for the ongoing mm-hmm. advice. So they, they've worked hard to build up a client bank. Over, over time, but we, we've young advisors as well. I mean, Emma, who works with us, is only 22. Kaylee, who works with us, is only 26. So we, we've got some younger ones in the team. And what you'll tend to find is that when they're younger, they, they'll be building up the client bank, but in a few years' time, they'll get to a point where they've got like good recurring revenues coming in and a good client base. So other things that influence earnings as well can be like your location, the organisation size, and I suppose the profitability of who you're working for as well is another thing. You, you've got lots of different types of financial advice firms. You've got some that are independent, some that are restricted. 
some that are directly authorised, some that are part of networks. So that there's a lot of different things can factor how much somebody gets paid. And then unfortunately, one of the things as well is is gender, as we, we mentioned as well, because there is a, a gender pay gap. But like I say, hopefully we'll start to see that kind of reduce over the next wee while. Well, I mean, your industry is is far by alone in, in gender pay gap problems. Let me just dig into a couple of things you said there. You mentioned location can be a factor and the organisation size can be a factor. Is it more likely that you'll earn more money in a bigger organisation or a small one? And is it more likely that you'll earn money, you know, more money in, say, London than you would Aberdeen? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the average wage for a financial advisor in London is going to be more than it is in, say, Edinburgh or Glasgow or Aberdeen. So, again, location will will play a part on things. You'll also find, I mean, to give you an example, we, we've got Kayleigh up in Caithness, now, Keeley does mortgages as well, and I always feel sorry for her up there because the, the way we get paid for mortgages is the lenders will pay us a commission based on the amount someone's borrowing. But up there, the mortgages are about half of what they are in the Aberdeen area, and then in Aberdeen, they're probably about a third or less than what they are in, say, somewhere like the south of England. So mm-hmm. location can influence things as well. Okay. All right. I understand it more now. We've spoken before about financial planning for women in general, haven't we? I mean, take us through some of the gender specific issues that men just never even stop to consider, Laura. Well, obviously, you've got women stopping their career to have children. I have two children. I have four and a half years between my two. So you've got the lack of national insurance contributions towards your state pension. You've got lack of pension contributions towards a private pension. You've got loss of earnings in general you have to rely on your your partner your husband to fund the house fund everything basically you'll get maternity leave if you're employed so you'll get an element of maternity pay but it's not a lot it doesn't cover what your salary would be as such so that's one major issue that women have obviously you've got longer life expectancy women tend to live a lot longer than men so you have to make sure you've got enough provision in a pension to last you longer. Also, there's not so much um, defined benefit pension schemes anymore. So women don't necessarily get half of their husband's pensions like they used to. So they have to make sure they've got enough in their own right for their their supplementation and and when they hit retirement age. So yeah, but there is quite a lot that women need to to think about definitely when it comes to their future. We, we did a great show. Go, just a, just yeah. a plug for episode 91, Financial Planning for Women, with Claire Moffat came on mm. as a guest. She worked for Royal London. And it, that one was just a show tailored, Financial Planning for Women. And it, it was a great one. I, I really enjoyed recording it because she also spoke about things like women are likely to maybe take time off work during if they're going through the menopause. That women was going to come on to you. Yeah, but women generally tend to take a bit less risk than, than men as well with their investments. So that, that was a really good episode, that one. And for people often don't realise that there is differences in financial planning between men and women. And I think one great thing with, with a, a female advisor is they can relate a lot more to, to women and the issues that they're they're having as well. Yeah, simply just because they are one, effectively. <laughs> It's a horrible term, that, though, isn't it? Career interruptions, describing having kids as a career interruption. But as you say, it's not just that. I mean, in later life, there are things like the menopause, which only now are starting to be addressed and accommodated by employers in all sectors, not just finance. And it feels like we're 
we're so behind in these types of provision. It, is there anything else, Laura, that, that that being men we just wouldn't ever consider unless forced to when it comes to financial planning for women? Generally, it would be, well, I went through a divorce about six, seven years ago. I separated from my husband. It was a difficult time. I had to think about my future, what was happening with the kids. So, yeah, um, I had to think about changing life insurance. I had to get a mortgage for myself. I had to look at, you know, making sure I had enough going into my pension. With a solicitor, I had to make sure that I, I got a decent payout for, for the divorce from the house, make sure everything was was in place. So that's something else that, you know, you need to make sure you consider is if you do end up being on your own, have you got enough of an income to provide for you, for your family? So, yeah, there, there is a lot more to financial planning for women than the men seem to realise, I think, so... What about financial education specifically for women then? I mean, how important is it for women to become more financially savvy than, than they possibly are now? And, you know, you say about, yeah, if you ended up becoming divorced, for instance, and you have to not stand on your own two feet, because that's a horrible phrase as well. But if if you have to literally start from behind the line to try and, you know, get on top of whatever's going on in your life, are there any resources that exist to gain the knowledge that you require? I think... Generally, you're better to get advice from a solicitor and also go and see a financial advisor. Go and see what you've got pension-wise, what your forecasts are for the future. If you've taken maternity leave, you know, your national students can, you know, if you didn't work for a while because you stayed at home and looked after kids, you won't have as much national students contributions towards your state pension. So you need to make sure you've got that for when you retire. You know, make sure that if you can get a mortgage, you know, you can go and speak to um, an advisor to see where you stand with regards to that as well. And so, yeah, I would definitely seek some advice, make sure that you've, you've got everything in place and to, to broaden your knowledge on what you can do savings wise, if you can put money away for your children as well. There's, there's so much arms and legs to financial advising, especially for women. And I think nowadays it's needed a lot more than it used to. And it's really simplistic, isn't it? But I'll, I'll draw this comparison just now. If you are a woman in that position and, you know, you're looking to find out advice, it just becomes so much easier to deal with a woman on the other side of the desk chatting back to you because they can relate. Um, Phil, I'm, I'm going to use you as an example here. How many boys is it you have? It's six, isn't it? Six, yeah. Yeah. The question I'm going to ask is not, do you think you'd be where you are in the financial industry if you were a woman with six kids, but... Do you think you'd even be in the industry at all at this point if you had six kids as a woman? I think like having six is probably more than what most people tend to have. I have had my two oldest sons stay with me for quite a few years now. And I guess I've been quite lucky that by having my own business, I've been able to be quite flexible with my time. And I think that's why we try to make it quite flexible for the guys working with us. But... There's no way I could have had six kids and stayed at home, looked after them and done what I've done over the years. And, you know, I was always really appreciative. I mean, Michelle, who my ex-partner, who I've got five boys with, always kind of, I've never, I've always kind of acknowledged the role that she's played in my success. Because if if she wasn't at home looking after the kids when they were young, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in at the moment. So I, I always kind of, appreciate and value the role that she played in in that but if I was a single parent with six kids gee, uh, no way I could be doing what I'm doing that's for sure 
Logistically, though, it is so much more difficult for women to do that, though, isn't it? I mean, the odds aren't stacked anywhere remotely in their favour if they want to have a family. Laura, you mentioned you have two girls. Is it ever possible to achieve a work-life balance in the financial services or any job? I mean, have, have you found any women that, that have? I mean, what would help make it easier for you? Your employer helps. I mean, I'm very lucky with Phil. He has a motto that family always comes first. He always has, you know, pushed that to us. If if we ever need time off or we need to go and go to a school concert, sports day, anything like that, you know, we just have to put our head in and say, all right, if I nip away, I've got this and that to do. It's fine. You know, it's, you have to have someone that's flexible with you. Otherwise, it, it won't work. You work to live. You don't live to work. And I've always said you need to have that that work-life balance. Um, there are times that I get a phone call from the school, oh, your, your daughter's sick or she's fallen over or this has happened, the next thing's happened, um, you need to come and get your child. Again, you know, you can take... We can take our work home. We can take our laptop home, work from home. You need to have that flexibility of being able to drop drop your work if you need to and go, which we have with Phil. It's uh, So I know a lot of workplaces aren't like that. Um, you know, if you had to leave to pick up your children, you'd have to take a day off, that kind of thing. But I think it helps to definitely have flexibility in your workplace. And it is possible to do everything. I do a lot of extra extracurricular stuff as well as my studying and my job so and I try and fit it all in as, as well as juggling swimming lessons and stuff for the kids gymnastics food shopping housework you know it's it's just managing your time but it is possible what about a, a work crash Phil or like a jungle gym for toddlers so that they could come or would they have to fight past the advisors to get into the jungle gym do you think I know Oh, maybe people in the office would be in there. So, <laughs> you know, you, you get a lot of big companies that will have things like that, like nurseries and they're, they're I mean, we're slightly smaller sized firm, but if if the firm grew to a big size, that'd be the sort of thing you would want to, to maybe look at doing as well. I mean, presumably you have to be across all of this and constantly try to be not just reactive, but proactive and sort of anticipate needs and, and try to cater for them. If, if you want to find and retain the best people and have more female financial advisors out there. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think you, you've got to try and encourage folk to have a good work-life balance. And, and sometimes you've got to kind of navigate things like parental leave or, and, and I'm a big advocate as well for kind of like family-friendly sort of policies as well. And I, I know what it's like having the boys, so I, I like to try and be flexible where we can. And, and, and it probably works both ways. I think when, when we're flexible with the, the staff, they're more flexible with our work as well, which so it, it that works works well. I think it does actually help when you've got a flexible boss and someone who's kind of laid back. You you want to work hard for them. You want to make sure you're taking in the money. And and if we ever do disappear to a school concert, you know, we always make up the time. Where it's but it's not expected. But we, but we do. You know, we're a good team, and I think that's part of the the problem nowadays is having employers who are not flexible. So if you've got flexibility in your workplace, it makes a huge difference. Is there evidence for, I mean, Laurie's spoken about her own findings, but is there evidence or anecdotal or otherwise, which points to female financial advisors being the preferred advisor for women? I think there must be a demand for it. I, I remember when Cheryl joined us, she was our first female financial advisor. We we use a website called Unbiased. It's like a, almost like a find a financial advisor website. And they actually had a filter that people could put in a prefer to see 
a female advisor. So but before they had that, I, I don't know if they've still got it now, but they, there must have been people who would actually search for for that. But I know some women are, are more comfortable speaking to other women, but I think it's good that people have got the choice. I think that's the, the main sort of thing. I mean, here at Phil Anderson Financial Services, we've got 10 advisors, six male, four females. So it's quite well split, certainly better than the, the industry kind of average. So that's something that I'm I'm fiercely proud of. What about the future of the industry? I mean, not just your own company. I mean, how do you see the industry evolving and adapting to create future prospects for women in financial services? I, I think after COVID, a lot of companies that are a lot more flexible with people like working from home, for example. So that that's probably a help, um, especially if you've got to be at home, you've maybe got children. So that, that could benefit there. I, I think there's a lot of great prospects, not just for women, but for anybody coming into financial services. There's also threats, things like artificial intelligence, but that's also an opportunity as well. So there's just masses of opportunity. And I think when we mentioned earlier, I mean, there's good money to be made. We mentioned the, the kind of average salaries. Also, when you look at the fact that half of financial advisors are age 50 plus, a lot of these folk are going to retire in, in the near future. So again, th- there's not going to be as many advisors out there. So great opportunities. And I, I think the financial services sector it is doing a lot to promote sort of gender equality and di- sort of diversity as well. And hopefully that's something we'll, we'll see carry on in, in the coming years. Anything you'd like to see happening, Laura, specifically? Yeah, I'd like to see more women in industry, definitely. It, it has been changing since I started seven years ago and then well in uh, with Phil so yeah I, I do see more more and more women emerging the gender pay gap I'd like to see that basically gone because I believe that women are just as good advisors as men are if not better mm-hmm. um, and yeah I just I'd like to see yeah just more more women in the in the, in the industry generally would you recommend the financial services industry as a career choice for women, Laura? Yeah, definitely. As I say, I've been doing it for, for many years now and I've seen more women come in. We've got a, a colleague, Emma, who's in her early 20s. She's actually got a law degree and she's a full qualified financial advisor and she's 22 and and completely idolise her. She, she's worked so hard for where she is and I'd love to see more young women like her I'd like to go into the schools as well and, and, and teach younger generation about financial services because I think it is starting to die off a little bit. As, as Phil says, you know, you've got all these older generation that are financial advisors and, and there isn't so much young blood in the industry. So definitely I think that, um, yeah, people should get into the financial services industry. It's, it's a great industry to be in and... Yeah, you can learn a lot. We've spoken about this before, Phil, the idea of not not so much about maths or arithmetic or anything like that, but just the idea of how to handle money and the use of it and what it's for and how you make it and where it goes and all of that. Just financial savviness being taught in schools more and it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, Maybe that's, you know, if Laura wants to do it, maybe 
Maybe that's the next the next stop is head off to Ellen Academy or whatever and start start yeah. doing it there or Ellen Primary School for Phil Anderson Financial Services. You never know. If you're a woman or a man listening to today's show and, and interested in the uh, the industry as a possible career future, what's the best way to get started, Phil? Yeah, would you believe it? We've got a, a whole podcast on that. Episode <laughs> 53. That's it. We've done so many podcasts now. We've covered so many different areas. But episode 53 was called How to Get Into Financial Services. So that's maybe a good one for indie interested to, to go and have a listen to. And any any tips, Laura, given that you're now on the inside, if you were to have the ability to speak to your your previous self just starting out on this on this road what would you give as advice well i would say if you're in an admin role speak to your employer see if there's any progression to become an advisor um, a lot of women will probably feel stuck in an admin role that that's that's all they can do but it's worth speaking to um your employer and seeing if if there is a way of doing exams, um, they might not pay for it, but you know it could progress you up the ladder to become an advisor in the future. So yeah, I would say, or if you're not in the the industry, look into how, as I say, pause uh, the podcast that Phil and yourself did. Go and see how you can get into the the financial services industry. There is a lot of opportunity out there for apprenticeships um, to get into the the industry for sure. Even you know, summer students, people still at school, um, you know, we we take on people every now and again for work experience. So, and it just just lets them see what the industry is actually like and if it's for them. Good advice. Uh, now comes the part of the show where Phil looks back over the course of his own life, both professionally and personally, to find an example of how today's topic has affected his own situation. So, Phil, today we're discussing women in financial services. What do you have on that? I mentioned we, we've got, well, four advisors. We've got Laura, Emma, Kayleigh and Cheryl all, all working with, with us at the moment. We're really lucky to have them. They're all great at what they do and, and do so well. Also, I mean, you, you've got other opportunities for women as well. I mean, we, we spoke a bit about advising today, but you've also got like administrative jobs. You've got women who are financial journalists, so many different areas of financial services. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. And like I say, we're, we're lucky to have the, the girls working for us. They, they're all great at what they do and got a really good team here. And now the quote of the week. Phil's always been a fan and collector of quotes for as long as, well, he's been on this show. What do you have on our topic for this week? Women in financial services, Phil. Yeah, the, the quote I've got this week's from Mohandas Gandhi. No two leaves are alike, and yet there is no antagonism between them or between the branches on which they grow. Gandhi, I think that's the first time we've had a quote from Gandhi on the show. <laughs> wow. Now, uh, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if that's what you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details in just a sec. I'll give it to you after this. The first one is from Leslie, who says, Hi, Phil. I thought I'd sourced a mortgage product that suited my circumstances. And then the following week, when I went to apply properly, it was pulled by the lender. And anything similar in the market was shelled by other providers too. It's not the first time this has happened recently either. What on earth is going on? Why do mortgage products keep coming on the market and then disappear almost as quickly again? Now, I said this was for Phil, but you know, if you want to jump in, Laura... <laughs> Feel free. Any ideas why this is happening, guys? Yeah, money markets have been really quite volatile recently. And, and what that is, there's what's called swap rates. And, and that's basically the rates at which lenders 
can borrow money. And these swap rates, there's been quite a lot of uncertainty recently, causing them to be up and down quite quite a bit. And then just in the short term, they've kind of gone up. So sadly, what that kind of then leads to is that a lot of banks and building societies will pull their products at, at short notice. And I know Laura will be seeing that quite a bit just now because a lot of the mortgage companies are, are the same, eh? Yeah, within a day, well, one yesterday, we got notice about lunchtime saying that they were pulling the products by 7.30 that night. Um, so I had to get an application done quick, smart yesterday afternoon um, or the product is gone and it will be replaced by something completely different, maybe a higher rate, maybe they won't have products for a couple of days. The lenders um, are very volatile at the moment, as Phil says. So we, if, if you want to act upon a mortgage deal, you have to be quick at the moment yeah it's it's really strange because from a from a customer's point of view i certainly wouldn't expect something as big as the the mortgage industry to just oh no we're taking that off that's gone and we'll give you another one monday it just sounds really sort of flimsy but you know i, I guess is what happens now next up here's one from Lindsay and carluke who asks uh hi phil strangely unlike the rest of the world at large i'm in a unique position at the moment where i'm happily earning quite a bit of money from my job I'm considering overpaying on my mortgage while the going's good. But before I commit to this, I want to check if there's ever a bad time to try something like that and whether it could potentially backfire on me in any way. The, the main thing Lindsay needs to do is just check with her lender to make sure she's not penalised for, for paying any extra. And um, some lenders have what's called early repayment charges. Now, you might find if you're on, say, a, a two-year fixed rate, there might be penalties during the, the first two years for, for paying a certain amount. And you, you do find that most lenders will allow you to pay off maybe 10% of the balance each year without any penalty. But you, you just want to check first with your lender just to, to make sure that you wouldn't get penalised. But paying in is a, extra is a great thing. The more money you pay in to pay it off quicker, saves you more interest. So certainly worth considering there. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered, as Phil mentions, just for all our podcasts now, a lot of topics now. So uh, we may have touched on, on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 143 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thank you also to our guest, Laura Stephen. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or when I email Phil a question, you can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. And as I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's how you prefer it. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks, John. And thanks very much for coming on, Laura. Thanks.